Well, amen for that intense intro, right? Hey, raise your hand if you're thankful for AC this morning. All right, yeah, amen to that. All right, me too. Uh, man, it is hot. It's been a hot week. I'm just like, I don't know if this is like anti-whatever, but I'm praying for some rain. We need some rain. Are you with me? My yard's like, help, you know. But, man, it's so good to see you guys. As Catherine mentioned, all about you guys is as it's graduation season at our house, we're getting a lot of graduation announcements. Are you getting those at your house? Maybe friends or family members. We've gotten some from past students that when I was in student ministry. And I'm like, that's awesome, but am I supposed to send money? Because if I'm supposed to send money, then I'll be broke. Are you feeling me? Like, if that's the case, then I know we have a 13, 12, and 11-year-old. I'm going to start sending graduation announcements, like, now, because they let them know that it's going to cost a lot of money for college. But um, being in this season, it, it just reminded me, and I'm, I'm kind of just sharing a little bit of personal stuff with you so you can laugh at me. I remember graduating high school, and I was the guy that procrastinated. Um, like, I knew I was going to college, and I made good grades, and I had awards and all that stuff that, you know, you're supposed to get when you're in high school. And, but for whatever reason, I graduated high school, and I still had not applied for college. And so, like, nowadays, like, I feel like you, you apply, like, your junior year. You take all those tests. You apply and get that stuff your senior year. Not me. <laughs> you know, I'm different, all right? And so I, um, I remember I had graduated high school, and shortly after, I knew I wanted to go to college. I just procrastinated. I just didn't apply anywhere at the time. And I remember sitting down with my mom as all my friends were going to these graduation parties and all this different stuff. And my mom, we were sitting down, and she's like, hey, what are you thinking about for college? And they didn't really force, force it on me, but they, they, you know, I mean, they wanted, wanted me to go to college, and I wanted to go to college. I just was undecisive. And so I was like, you know, Mom, I, was like, I don't really know. I was like, do I stay home? Do I go far away? Do I go to school for free? Do I go away and rack up lots of debt? <laughs> you know, like, what do I do? Do I go to a Christian college? Do I not go? all these different things. And so I asked my mom, I vividly remember this. I asked my mom, I said, mom, what do you think? Now, typical mom response, and there's nothing wrong with this response. I'm just throwing that disclaimer out there. But my mom said, honey, you know, I really do not care where you go. I just want you to be happy, right? You probably have maybe said that to your kids or your kid, or you have told your parents have told you that at some point. And there's really nothing wrong with that statement because if you think about it, when each of us graduate high school, we want to prosper and be successful in life. I, I've never met anybody that graduates high school and says, you know what, man, I'm so ready for this adult thing. I can't wait to struggle to pay for my bills. <laughs> you know, I can't wait till there's drama and I just don't know how I'm going to fill up the gas tank. Or, you know what, when I graduated high school now, man, I cannot wait. I really, really hope for the opportunity that when I'm in my early 30s, that I get to move back in with my parents, you know, because I'm unemployed. No one says that, you know. We want to be successful in life. We want to prosper in life. You know, we don't want to be deemed losers, right? I, 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 was, I was laughing. Um, I saw this shirt. Where was I at? Uh, maybe Costco this past week. And I saw this guy. He was with his mom. Okay, don't take this an offense, okay? But this guy was with his mom, and he's probably early 20s. But he had this shirt, and it said, the perfect day. And it had this list on his shirt. You might have seen this. And it said, wake up, uh, eat breakfast, play video games. Eat lunch, play video games. Take a nap, play video games. And I'm like, okay, all right. You know, we don't, 
you know, I mean, that's great. But at the same time, there is so much more to life and the responsibilities that we have. Um, if you're an adult, to you want to be successful. You want to make your, your friends, your wife, your parents proud of these things. And so, you know, I think at the end of the day, for each of us, we want to enjoy life. We want to enjoy our jobs. We want to enjoy our marriages. We want to enjoy our kids. Not only love our kids, but we want to like our kids. Are you feeling me, parents? All right. I might have said that to my kids once or twice. I love you, but I don't like you right now. So, um, but we want to enjoy life. We want to be happy. But here is where, as we're walking through this series called Counterfeit Gospel, where it gets super dangerous. Because as we want to be happy, and as our world says, hey, you need to be happy, and we've talked about all these things, you know, like follow your heart and all this other stuff, that begins to take precedent in our faith and our relationship with God, and it becomes one of, this, one of the most popular beliefs, and really it's a misbelief, it's a, it's a cultural lie, that this understanding or this statement that God wants me to be happy. Have you heard that? That God, his greatest priority is for you and for me to be happy. And this really starts us down this road of a lot of different misbeliefs. And so like with any of these things, if you're a guest, I hope you hear this. And even if you're not a guest, my heart and our heart as a church is always to dive in to scripture. We believe that God's word is God's truth. And I never want it to be like, hey, he spent, you know, 25 minutes telling us his opinion and all these different things and five minutes on scripture. But in a lot of ways, during this series, when we address a cultural lie or a counterfeit gospel, we kind of have to unpack it for a little bit. And we can't just dive right into Scripture, but we have to unpack how it affects us, how we've bought into these things before we get to Scripture. So I just want to do that, and then we'll dive into, uh, we're going to be in Matthew 6 this morning. So you can turn there if you want, um, or you can wait. But here's this thing, is that when we have this understanding or this idea that God wants us to be happy, um, I kind of wrote this, what I would call the theology of happiness. Here are some things that take place when we are just walking after and chasing happiness for happiness sakes. One, um, whatever, this is kind of a belief that we have, whatever makes me happy must be right. So therefore, whatever makes me unhappy must be what? Wrong. We kind of believe this. We kind of get into, hey, if it's all about happiness and God wants me to be happy, then what makes me happy is right, and what makes me sad or angry must be wrong. Now, I'm going to date myself a little bit in this, but hopefully you've heard of this. Have you heard of Sheryl Crow? Do you know who Sheryl Crow, the artist, is? Raise your hand. Okay, good. Everybody else, I guess y'all are just too trendy, and I'm a nerd. And, um, but she has this song. You might have remembered this. She has this line in this song that says, If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. If it makes you happy then why the heck are you so sad? Now, she doesn't say heck, okay? But if I said the real words, you probably wouldn't be happy. Um, anyway, so, but she says, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. If it makes you happy, then why are you so sad? And it's this principle that, hey, if it makes you happy, it, it's got to be right. There's this theology of happiness that we're running after, and this is kind of the fault lines that we get into at times. Secondly, if, theology, if the theology of happiness, and we're just driving our lives towards that, Here's another dangerous thought, that any discomfort, delay, risk, suffering, inconvenience, or obstacles that we have a part of our life, we say, 
there's no way that's a part of God's will. And so God wants me happy, and so any of this stuff, it can't be part of God's plan. There's no reason for this. So we just kind of discount it, and we say, hey, you know, and oftentimes what we'll do, and I'll talk about this in a little bit, is that we blame God, God for those things. We say, hey, God wants me to be happy, so when I'm not happy, it's all God's fault. So there, there's a dangerous line in that. And then third, that without knowing it, all right, if we're pursuing happiness for happiness sake, without knowing it, you and I begin to worship the false gods of comfort, money, and pleasure. Now, hear me out. When I say worship these things, I'm not saying that at your house you have some like corner or closet where you have like your money, you know, stacked up and your clothes and the keys to your car and you worship that way. I'm not saying that. That'd be weird, okay? But what I am saying is that what, what at, the, at everyday level gets all of your attention, affection, worry, stress, all those things? Because oftentimes that's where, uh, or that's what we are worshiping that we're thinking about all the time. I got to get that promotion. I got to pay these, these bills. I got to do this. I like comfort. I can't get out of my comfort zone. I can't do this, whatever the case may be. And it's all consumed about or around our happiness. And here's the problem, that when we believe that above all else, God wants you and me to be happy, ultimately what happens to our theology is that we believe that God exists to serve us. And I want to be really clear, and I want you to understand this, so do not miss this. It'll be on the screens. You can write this down. God does not exist to serve us. We exist to serve God. Now, let me say that again, because there should have been some amens, and I guess y'all don't have your coffee. Maybe it's too hot or whatever. But listen, God does not exist to serve you and me. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Gene. I appreciate that. It made me feel good. All right. I'm actually doing my job up here. Um, but think about it. God does not exist to serve us. We exist. You and me exist to serve him. Because if we believe that God wants us or has, may, wants to make us happy, all of a sudden God in our mind turns into this, this cosmic genie. I've said this before, that we kind of have this formula in our minds that God wants us to be happy. And in order for us to be happy, we have to do cer certain things. So this is kind of how this plays out. And I'm going to be honest. I hear this all the time. Man, I've gone to church. I even prayed. I read my Bible a little bit. I gave a little bit of money to the church. And, you know, because I've done all these things, God, you need to give me that job that I really want. You need to give me that house that I've been praying for. You need to give me that car. And this is the dangerous side of this is this is what then creeps in and what we know and what we call the prosperity gospel. Have you heard about that? Of, of really, God wants me to be happy, but then it kind of follows like healthy and wealthy as well. That if I do these things, God is going to bless me all over the place. That if I give money, if I do all these things and I have the faith and I really believe in God and I just give everything, he is going to bless me beyond belief. Now, I want to be very clear in this, is that this is a dangerous, dangerous trap. And, you know, I usually don't call out people from the pulpit, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it just because I feel like we need to be careful with this. When you watch TV and you hear people like Joel Olstein or Kenneth Copeland or Joseph Prince, and I would even put people like Joyce Meyer in this camp, 
and you hear them, you can have your best life now. If you just call this 1-800 number and give some money, <laughs> you know, or you just say this prayer, or you just do this, if you just do these things, God is going to bless you, and you're going to have a car, you're going to have all your wildest dreams are going to come true. People buy into that. And then it's a spiritual manipulation in the fact that, okay, if you don't have those things, then your faith is not strong enough. And so you need to give more. Call back, 1-800, call more. Now, true story, okay? One time, um, I was in a nursing home and, um, with, a, with a friend, a uh, family member, and their, their grandparent was, had dementia. And the nurse at the time was watching Benny Hinn. All right. And I wanted to play the clip. I don't know if you've seen this where he takes his coat and he whips people and it's to the soundtrack. Let the bodies hit the floor. But anyway, it's it's really entertaining. Let the bodies hit the floor. And he's like, and they're like, oh, they fall back. All right. Now, listen, I can't I'm not going to say people can't be healed that way. But my friend called and called Benny Hinn hotline and said, hey, I'm just curious. Hey, um, are the only places you do healings in these packed out arenas? They're like, oh, um, well, yes, sir, you know, or yes, you know, yeah, that's what we do. Why don't you, if you can heal, if Benny Hinn can heal, why doesn't he go to nursing homes and hospitals? It's really interesting, right? Well, we just don't feel, and this person on the phone, now, obviously, it's not Benny Hinn. This person said, well, the reason that they're in the hospital, I kid you not, I'm not making this up. The reason that those people are in the nursing home or hospital is because of their sin. And I was like, oh, goodness, <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, even more so, you should be over here healing some people, you know? But we have to be careful because many people in our world, in churches and on TV, preach this prosperity gospel that God wants you to be happy. Just give him everything that you have, and he will, he will make you happy. He'll make your wildest dreams come true. And God is not a cosmic genie. And based on that idea, you want to know many people are walking away from the church because they have this idea in their mind that God wants me to be happy, and so when I'm not happy, it's God's fault. And so I hear this all the time, too. You know, I tried the whole God thing. You know, I just, it didn't make me any happier. I tried the church thing. I even read my Bible a little bit. It didn't, it didn't change my life. You know what? My kids are still horrible. My wife still has cancer. It didn't help one bit. They really bought into this idea that if I pray this certain way, if I do these things, that God is going to bless me, make me healthy and wealthy. And that is not in Scripture. It's not. It's not what I would call God is not this God of Christian karma. That I do think that there are going to be seasons. Now, let me be very clear on this. Well, let me, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting all worked up. Y'all making me preach over here. All right. Hey, let, let's, let's read Scripture this morning. Very famous. There's a lot of verses. But let's just dive into this because it really... Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Once again, we were there last week, this week. We're going to be there again next week. And you probably have heard this, uh, this passage of Scripture. And a lot of times it's preached in twofold, but we're going to put them all together this morning. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Starting in verse 19, it says, Do not, this is Jesus speaking, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You probably have heard that. The eye is the lamp of the body. 
So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So Jesus unpacks, really throwing this heart aspect out there of what's encapsulating, what's really capturing your heart, what are you chasing after, what's catching your eye, because your eye is the lamp to your body. Then he continues, and there's a reason these are tied. He says in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body or what you will put on. It um, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air that neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? For which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, he had everything, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grasses of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. Therefore, once again, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. All right, so Jesus is clearly applying in the Sermon on the Mount, once again, he's addressing all this religious behavior, and he is hitting right into the heart. He is implying our happiness, our joy is connected when our heart is connected with him. That we can try to find happiness. Think about this. He links these things. When we are worried and when our heart is consumed by what are we eating, what are we drinking, what do I look like, what is the appearance, man, it brings anxiety. Your bills stress you out. It stresses me out. You know, your kids are expensive. How are we going to pay for that? It's like summer camp. I was like, man, I was so excited. I even promised our kids, we're going to do basketball camps for you this summer. Then I looked and I'm like, oh, no, we're not. Okay. We're going to do basketball camp in our driveway. And dad's the coach. Okay. That's what we're going to do. And I'm going to pay myself $50. All right. That's what we're going to do. You know, it's, it can be stressful. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you're putting all your eggs in one basket of all the things here on earth to find happiness. And what I'm saying is, he, or what Jesus is saying in this moment is, listen to me. He says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek those things. Seek, seek the things of God. So here's what I want to do this morning. Two questions and then a comment that I think are really good evaluation tools. The first one is, I wrote this down, two questions to check your heart. Okay, you can write that down. Check your heart. All right. Look to your neighbor, say, check your heart. All right, good. That was awkward, but that's good. We'll cut through it. You're like, hey, check your heart. I don't know. We never do this. Um, but here, here's the first question that we need to be asking ourselves. What are you seeking? What are you seeking? All right. Now, another way to kind of ask this is who or what has your heart? Who or what has your heart? 
Now, think about this. When you're seeking, you can, you can answer this several different ways. You're either seeking, you, you know, your, your own success, you, you know, for you to prosper, to be well, for your happiness, your health. And listen, all those things are great, but what are you seeking life for yourself, for fame, for popularity, for a bigger house, all that stuff. But even a better, more personal way is who or what has your heart? And a good defining factor of that is where are you spending most, most of your time, your resources, your energy? A lot of times we're, we're sidetracked in different things, and those take precedent in our life, and God gets the leftovers, and he's put on the back burner. But what Jesus is clearly saying is, hey, don't store up and put all of your, your eggs in this basket here on earth. And follow God. Seek after him. You want happiness? Seek after God, not the things of this world. You don't need me to tell you. The things of this world will let you down. There's always something bigger, better, whatever down the road. There's always things that are going to lead to hurt. Even the things that we love deeply will hurt us. My kids hurt me. My wife hurts me. Not physically, all right? <laughs> but the thing is, like, people are going to let us down. And when we go after Jesus, that needs to be the thing that we are seeking. Why? All right, Peter says this in 1 Peter. He, he says this, as you have been called to be happy, be happy in all the things that you do. Does he say that? No, he says to actually be holy. Be holy in all that you do. Your happiness is not God's priority. Your holiness is. Now, hear me out when I say this. I don't think that God is sitting up on a cloud somewhere and being like, I just want them to be miserable. I think he does. I think he delights when we're happy. I don't think God is like, I'm going to be the God of rules and, you know, lightning throwing down. I just want you to be miserable in your life and follow all these things. I don't think that. His priority is not your happiness. It's your holiness. But I think he delights in our happiness. Here's the best way I can explain it and how my little brain works. All three of my boys play basketball. I love going to their games. I love cheering them on. I'm that dad. I probably go a little bit over the top. You know, I'm cheering them on. I'm celebrating the good. Way to go. You know, one of my kids do um, horrible or they make dumb decisions on the court. I'm the first one. I'm like, why'd you do that? You know, it, it keeps them humble. All right. And so like I'm the I'm the dad. I'm just be, I'm just confessing. Like when my kids are in the middle of a game and they shoot an air ball, most of you because you're good, godly parents, you're like, way to go. Hey, get them next time. Hey, that was a, hey, good, good try. Not me. You know what I say when my kids shoot an air ball? Air ball. I'm the loudest. In the, I start the chant, okay? They need that, all right? They need that. It makes them better, okay? And so, but the thing is, it's like I delight when my kids have a really good game on the court, whether it's like a buzzer beater or they scored a lot of points or they carried the team or whatever. I delight. And that at the end of the game, and I'm celebrating. That was a great game. You gave it your best, all this other stuff. Now, let's kind of hypothetically think. Let's say they had a great game. I mean, they carry the team. They got a buzzer beater. And I'm like, yes. And then my kids go over to the opposing team's sideline and are like, oh, <laughs> you know, just talking smack. Now, all of a sudden, as a dad, okay, I'm not worried about, I'm not finding delight in, in their happiness and scoring all of a sudden, I'm more worried about their character. Are you following me? And so their character needs to be addressed. So you better believe they're being benched. They're, not, they're sitting out. I'm addressing it. Now think about this. God delights in your happiness. 
But what he is more concerned about when he's as holiness is your character. He he wants you to in this process. I've said this a, a time or two before. He cares what is big churchy word in your sanctification for you to be sanctified, meaning that every single day as you attempt to follow Jesus to the best of them, you are becoming more like Jesus. That's what he cares about. And that might take horrible circumstances. It might take time where you're like, I just want to call it quits. It might be uncertainty and doubt and anger and sadness. It might take those things to get you there. But at the end of the day, he cares more about you becoming more like Jesus and being sanctified in holiness. That a year from now, you should look more like Jesus than you do today. That's what he cares about. He cares about your holiness. And that happens when, our, when God has our heart and we pursue the things of God. It is a perspective shift. Absolutely. It is this shift from happiness to what I would call joy. You're like, well, what, what's the difference? Happiness is really temporary and joy is eternal. Now think about this statement. I'm going to blow your mind right here. You're going to think I'm the best pastor in the world. You you already do, okay? But I'm just going to say, not just just joking, all right? But think about this statement. Happiness is an emotion. Joy, right? Joy is a perspective. And here's what I mean by that. You're like, what? Happiness changes. It changes based on our circumstances, our conditions, whatever the case may be. Somebody or something makes you happy, right? Right? Your kids make you happy, they make you mad, then they make you happy, whatever, okay? Happiness is something that changes over time. But joy is a perspective, and this is what I mean by this. Even when I'm angry, when someone's wronged me or I'm going through a difficult situation, you choose joy. You choose it because it's a perspective. That even in the darkest moment of your life, that as a believer, you choose joy. Why? Because you know that God is greater than any circumstance that you could ever possibly imagine. And you have joy that even though you're sad and you might be angry and you might be hurt, I'm going to choose joy because God's got a plan for this. You follow me? Does that make sense? That I can choose joy because in this situation, I might not understand it, but God's going to get me through this because it's all a part of the process of being sanctified. It's a part of becoming more like Jesus. Jesus went through temptation. Jesus went through hurts. He went through pain. He went through suffering. Does that mean that he's not holy? No, he's even more holy because he went through it. And so for us to go through those things, man, it is joy is this perspective. And once again, what ends up happening is if we pursue happiness and we buy into God just wants me to be happy, What happens in this is this belief system kind of empowers us to actually do wrong and justify it. Here's some examples that I hear. I'm using examples of people that I've counseled. Things like this. Man, I hate my job. I hate my boss. You know what would make me really, really happy? If I go in and just tell my boss off, I'm going to do it. And not even thinking about the implications So they go in, they tell their boss, they don't look like a Christian, they really show themselves in that, and now they don't have a job, they have a family at home, and now it's a really bad situation. You following me? This is what I call, okay, this kind of thinking is what I call the S&S syndrome, sinful and stupid, all right? Is that we do, when we think happiness is all about us and we just need to be happy, we do things that are sinful and stupid. Okay, let me take a little bit more seriousness in this. You know, I'm just not happy in my marriage, Dustin. These are real life stories. I'm just not happy. 
in my marriage. God wants me to be happy. And, you know, there's this person at my job. They're so encouraging. You know, they're on the same sales team that we're on. And this are always just, hey, you like your shirt today? You look good. And they make me happy. And so next week, I'm actually going to go out to dinner with this person. This, you know, God wants me to be happy, sinful and stupid. Now let me go a little bit deeper, okay? Let me step on some toes. You know, Dustin, a real-life scenario, I have, I, I have needs. And my wife, she's not meeting those needs. And I just want to be happy. And I'm just going to look at it for a little bit online. And it's going to make me happy. I know some people say that's wrong, but it could be worse. I'm not cheating, you know, I'm not having an affair. I'm just going to look at it for a little bit. It's going to make me happier for the time. And it's, it's really not a big deal. Sinful and stupid. It's because we do those things because God doesn't really have our heart. We're not seeking him. Second point, I got to move on. All right, rapid fire. So listen quick. All right. Second thing that if you think about this, the question that we have to ask is not only what are you seeking, but will it satisfy? And I'm gonna, this is really, really quick. We live in a culture that tells us the formula for satisfaction is better possessions, newer, faster, shinier, bigger, whatever, right? Plus peaceful circumstances, you know, this absence of conflict and, and sadness. Plus, you really need to have, if you really want to be happy, you need to have some thrilling experiences, incredible vacations, once-in-a-lifetime experiences, the big hit, the big promotion, all that kind of stuff. Then a, the, a right relationship that if you're not right, Trade, trade that person in, get a newer, younger one, whatever. Plus, you have to have, if you want happiness, you have to have the perfect appearance. I, I wrote this down. You got to either tuck it, lift it, puff it, smooth it, shave it, whatever, you know, whatever. You do all those things and it will lead to happiness. I had to make sure I got that one in, okay? And, and think about it. That's the problem. It's all based on circumstances and happenings. And, and guess what? All those things will never truly satisfy. So here's the answer. If you're asking the question, will it satisfy? Anything that you fill in the blank other than Jesus, the answer is always no. It will never satisfy. Maybe for a little bit. It might just temporarily make you feel good, but it will never satisfy you like Jesus. It might be happy for a little bit, but the bills are still going to come. The problems are still going to exist until you give your life to Jesus. So that brings me to the final point. Only God satisfies. Only God satisfies. First John chapter two, John says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, meaning you, you have what it takes. You're, you're everything. It is not from the Father. It is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Abides forever. Man, you want happiness. You want joy. Abide in God. I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say this probably true. If you're miserable, you're probably not reading Scripture. You're not, you're not reading God's Word. Hey, if you're not happy, when's the last time you really honestly talked to God? If you're, if you're not happy, you're not satisfied, I guarantee you, you're not serving. You're not in a small group community. You're not plugged into those things. Man, it's just you doing life and trying to make the best of it. 
You're not reading and worshiping like you should, all those different things, because only God satisfies. And here's kind of my closing comment. Joy is not the absence of sadness, right, from your life. Joy is not the absence of just not, not being sad anymore. It's not the absence of sadness from your life. But what joy is, is the presence of Jesus in your life. That when Jesus is a part of your life, when you're reading, when you're talking to him and praying, when you're with other believers, worshiping, when you're in small group, when you're serving, when you're serving our kids and showing them Jesus, man, that brings this great joy into your life. Why? Because Jesus is present with you. You're in the presence of Jesus. So here is my closing question this morning. Is the presence of Jesus in your life? Is Jesus present in your life? Not just out here, kind of culturally speaking, we hit on that last week. I'm saying, are you walking with Jesus? Are you seeking him? Are you pursuing him? Are you reading scripture and saying, you know what? I'm going to be more concerned not about my happiness. I'm going to be more concerned about my holiness. And as I seek first after God's kingdom, and I trust that, that anxiety is going to go away. I'm not saying it's going to happen like a magic trick. But I'm going to say, I'm just saying, I'm going to put all my eggs and following God in that basket than trying to meet all my needs. You know, I don't know about you. I honestly feel this way. I mean, I could pursue a lot of different things. And I, I consider my life really, really blessed. Man, I love my kids. Love my wife. I love our house. I love, we're, we are so blessed in the materialistic things. But you know what? Without Jesus, it's meaningless. It's nothing. It won't sat. It's just a house. When I die, I'm not taking it with me. Where I find my joy is in knowing that Jesus came and died for me so that I can actually have life and have it to the full and not be worried about what the world says, but be more concerned about who God called me to be and he calls us to be holy. Let's pray together. Father, we are always so sidetracked and different things, and so forgive us where we try to find happiness in so many different things. And we do. We find pride and happiness in, in our kids and their accomplishments and our jobs and our success and our marriages when they're going well. We're able to get away on that great vacation. And not that those things are bad things, but ultimately we need to serve you first and foremost. And we need to be seeking you and you are what needs to capture our hearts. Without that, we'll never be the mom or dad you call us to be. We'll never be the husband and wife you've called us to be. There will always be this emptiness in us of searching and longing for more. Because those things don't truly satisfy. It's you that satisfies. And so the, for the person that's here that's just wrestling with this this morning, God, I pray that this morning they give you their life. They just surrender and say, I'm tired of living for myself. I'm ready to live for you. For the believer that's been distracted through this, God, I pray that today and even starting tomorrow morning that they begin steps of saying, you know what? I'm going to start reading scripture. I haven't done that before. It's been about me and my success. I'm going to start praying. I'm going to start talking to God and, and really saying, hey, here's, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm struggling with. I'm going to worship like nobody else. I'm just going to bring it all to God. And so, Father, as we close in worship, let us come before your feet. And say, Father, you care about our holiness, so allow us to continue to be more like Jesus each and every day. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Hey, let's stand. Let's worship an incredible God that wants you to be holy. Just come before his throne this morning and love him.